If you think about the question of what would our workplace be like if women had designed it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, suspect, I suspect it would be very like the direction we're going in right now because the the institutions we've been working in for almost 300 years were designed by men mostly white men for themselves and making it functional for themselves they had women and people of color at home doing the 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 work of the of the family and the farm and that is not how anyone lives anymore Hello, everyone. Welcome to Power Up Women, our cross-generational conversation about leadership, power, gender, and justice through a female lens. I'm Ann Doyle. My guest today is someone I have admired for a long time and have gotten to know personally through the International Women's Forum, a preeminent global network of women leaders from six continents. Gloria Felt is a best-selling author, a global speaker, a courageous thought leader, and the current president of Take the Lead, a nonprofit she co-founded in 2013 to propel women to leadership parity in all arenas by 2025. Now that's a very ambitious goal, but Gloria's vision and her expertise for achieving it are grounded in decades of leadership work beginning with her own journey as a teenage mother in a small Texas town, rising to serve as president and CEO of Planned Parenthood for 10 years, writing five books and becoming a nationally recognized voice for women's rights. And she hasn't rested on her laurels. Gloria has just released her newest book, Intentioning, Sex, Power, Pandemics, and How Women Will Take the Lead for Everyone's Good which delivers a fresh set of leadership tools to help all women reach their highest potential and for us collectively to finally break through the remaining barriers to gender and racial parity. Welcome, Gloria. Thank you so much, Anne. So good to be with you. Yes, although it's virtually. One of these days we'll be together again, hopefully in Santiago, Chile next year with the IWF. I think that's a great idea to think about, and we will intention it into being. Intention it into being, exactly. That's what we're going to be talking about with your with your excellent book, which I read over the weekend. And one of the things that comes through loud and clear, Gloria, is your sense of urgency, about seizing what you call a once-in-a-lifetime moment to maybe turbocharge equity. Urgency that is caused by the, the massive disruption that we've seen of not one, but two current pandemics, COVID, obviously, and racial justice. Why do you feel this urgency? You know, Anne, that I've been a movement builder for all of my professional life, and I have a sense of timing about that. You know, often the the prevailing narrative that we hear implies that things happen because of external force of various kinds. And in truth, people ultimately make things happen. So let me back up and unpack that just a little bit, because obviously we did not cause a pandemic. Obviously, the, the racial injustice pandemic has been part of this country since its founding. Only finally people are beginning to 
be clear that in fact it is there it is it is real and it must be addressed as well disruptions are also the opportunity for rebirth I really see disruption and rebirth as being two sides of the same coin. You've, you've, everybody's heard the, the Chinese uh, character that crisis and opportunity are supposedly one and the same. And, and I think that in the social sphere, it's very much that way. When you have massive disruptions, it forces us to think new thoughts to allow new thoughts to come in to ourselves as individuals and to our organizations that may have been impervious to change. If you think about the question of what would our workplace be like if women had designed it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, suspect, I suspect it would be very like the direction we're going in right now because the, the institutions we've been working in for almost 300 years were designed by men, mostly white men, for themselves and making it functional for themselves. They had women and people of color at home doing the, the, the work of the, of the family and the farm. And that is not how anyone lives anymore. You see, many things have changed, but our institutions haven't always changed with them. Right now, our institutions are recognizing, A, they can change. In other words, they, they now know they can have more flexible working hours, for example, that it matters less where you're working from and what hours you work than, than we would have thought. You know, it's the nine to five is maybe not so functional anymore or doesn't have to be. So these ideas have been forced into the system. So now we're all talking about, well, the future of work is probably going to be hybrid. And, 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 and these are ideas that would never have been even entertained 10 years ago. But now we have to, we, we not only can, we must. So that's why I'm hopeful because if we take this opportunity to make our new thoughts actually become reality within the systems where we work, I really believe that women can move further faster because don't all the institutions now know they need women to come back to work? Are we not hearing this every single day? Begging people to come back to work and women are a huge part of that. Yeah, you know, your point about the workforce and how we've forced, this is forced change reminds me of my years at Ford Motor Company when I was a single mother with a young son and, you know, asking you know, one day at home or two. And they're like, absolutely not. You're a leader. Your people have to see you. You have to be there. And wow, we've come a long way, baby, right? We <laughs> have. COVID forced it. COVID forced it. Yeah. But let's talk about specifically your book and, and, and what you're saying in this book that you have written during this time of pandemic, Intentioning. Explain the title. Explain the big message about the power of this tool. I will say that I started writing it before the pandemic and my the, the structure of it in my own mind was the structure of those nine leadership intentioning tools. I knew that I wanted to interview women who exemplified those tools and actually who would help to inform those tools. And that's exactly what I had been doing. Well, 
enter a pandemic and suddenly it had to become a, a bigger, rich, I say richer book. I think it's really richer book because I had to, there's no way I could have just done a straightforward leadership book without taking into account the pandemics of which we have just spoken. So that enabled me to put a bigger context around it. The word intentioning, let me just own up to it. I made it up. I made it up because I couldn't find exactly the word I wanted. And I, I, I wanted it to be an active verb. And I knew that I wanted to use the, the concept of intention because I believe that that is the linchpin now that is literally holding women back, not physically, but the way we have been socialized has given women lower levels of intention about what we see ourselves as being able to do and what we think we want to do and can do. So I had to create a new word and that word was intentioning so that it's an active verb it. because I am very into if something's not actionable, then, you know, really, what good does it do you? And my previous book, No Excuses, was a look into women's relationship with power, which I had found to be something that was also holding us back. And again, it's not hardwired. It's all gender-based socialization. Gender is a social construct. Neither men nor women are inherently better or different, really. But we've been socialized differently about power. And the narrative of power has been a very negative one for women about fighting and wars and, and, and the finite resources and, and believing that if you take a piece of this pie, there's less for me. Well, in truth, that's not true at all. In truth, once we can shift our thinking about power from that narrative of oppressive power over to the generative idea of the power to innovate, create, make life better for ourselves, our families, the world, well, I would just see women go, well, I want that. And then mm-hmm. having, having worked with women for 10 years around their relationship with power and seeing them make mm-hmm. tremendous career advances because of it, I realized that we still had to deal with, we still needed to deal with the intention part of it. Because once you've embraced your power, you have to ask the question, the power to what? The, the power, power to, to what? what? And that's yeah. how we get to intention. Yeah. And you talk in your book about the the enemy within our minds. And I think that's what you're talking about in terms of these cultural um, messages. Or to me, it's like being dropped in a, a Kool-Aid that just like soaks into every pore of women. And mm-hmm. it, it's overcoming that. Yes. Well, where, where, where it really clicked for me was I was interviewing the CEO of ZipRecruiter, which is a big website, a job posting website, he had crunched the numbers of over 100,000 job applications. And what he found was that women, on average, with the same qualifications, with the same experience, asked for $11,000 plus less than men. That's the enemy in our heads. We value ourselves less because we've been taught to value ourselves less. Yeah. So we can overcome that, but you have to know that you have to first understand that, have that data, and then think about, and, and most of the leadership tools that I teach women are around 
how do you know your value? How do you articulate your value? How do you discern what you want to do with that, that value? It's a, it's a thinking process. I really focus on the thought process you need to have to be a great leader and the thought process you need to have to ultimately get to the level of leadership that you are capable of doing. You know, and you and I have been actively on the front lines of this this fight and this this work, this hard work, you know, to to move women forward um, from those early days of fighting all the legal challenges and then changing hearts and minds. And uh, it's almost as if, you know, we go through kindergarten and grade school and high school. And I think you're on to the the master's degree and the Ph.D. now. I mean, building on all those other leadership books and all the, the things that are out there to build on that. But take us now to the tools that you're talking about in your book, Intentioning. What's next? In this book, I start with leadership intentioning tool number one, uncover yourself. Because great leaders, great leaders know themselves very well. They have dealt with whatever internal issues they have to deal with. And they have uncovered themselves. They know themselves and they show themselves authentically to other people. And the, the example of the story, the woman's story in that tool is that of Deborah Sterling, who founded Goldie Blocks, which I love these engineering toys. If, I, I mean, if you have girls in your life between like three and 12, you got to know about Goldie Blocks. They are fantastic. She was, she was humiliated in front of her engineering class at Stanford. She was like one of two or three women in the class, and she answered a question incorrectly, and the the professor asked the entire class whether she should pass. Wow. And she ran out out of the room crying, and fortunately, a male student followed her out and persuaded her not to drop the class. So she stayed with the program, but she committed. At that time, she really looked into herself, and she realized she had not seen role models of women engineers. She didn't have she didn't have anybody to 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 model herself on. So and to visualize it and to think of herself and to think how far she could go in the field. So she decided then that what she would do is she would create this engineering toy for girls to help them understand and love the what she calls the magic of of making things, of building things. And but but if she hadn't, because she said she had tried to operate like the males in her sphere, because she had been in a very male dominated profession. And even as a leader in her own company, she tried to emulate the men that she had seen in leadership. And it was only when she had coaching that helped her see herself as a woman, and was able to use those attributes she had as a woman that enabled her to uncover herself and become a much better and and actually have a more successful company as a result. Take us through uh, the rest of them. At least mention them and a couple I want to talk <laughs> okay. about in a little more. Okay, time. sure, sure. So the second one is dream up. Uh, and uh, the tagline for that is if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. And I, I love, love that one too, because I, one of the things that I learned from having a very, leading a very complex organization for a very long time uh, is that is that you really can do it if you can dream it, if you can imagine it you really can find a way to do it. There's, there's almost nothing that can't be done, but first you have to 
first you have to see it. You have to see it and you have to see yourself doing it. And so, uh, so this is, there's a wonderful story in it about uh, pianist Marina, Marina Arsenevich, who during the pandemic, literally, she never, she never changed her purpose of making music, but she, I mean, obviously, you know, performers couldn't perform, right? She turned her home into a, a studio and she has never been more productive. And she just think she just thought bigger and bigger and better and better. And she grew her social media following to like almost a million people and, and millions and millions of people now see her music on, on YouTube. So now as she's coming out of the pandemic, she has a huge following. And she's written more music than she's ever written before. So that's dreaming up. But if you don't first see it, you can't ultimately be it, right? So that's that one. And this, the third one is to believe in the infinite pie. And uh, there's, a, there's a personal chocolate cheesecake story involved with that in that I, <laughs> I, won, I won the I gotta prize. I got to taste that sometime. I, well, I won the prize at, at a, a charity chocolate tasting contest and and people started asking me if I gave away the recipe and I thought why would I hold on to a recipe why would why would anybody want to hold on to that little little bit of power and it became a metaphor for me about how the more you give the more you have the, if I help you and you help me we both have more so right. if we can believe in the infinite pie and believe in the fact that there's no limit to our intelligence, our innovation, our creativity, our love, the world becomes a much happier and better place for us. I mean, we just are happier as individuals because we don't feel like we have to hold on to this little bit of chocolate cheesecake or whatever it is. So those are the self-definitional tools. There, is, there are three tools that I call the counterintuitive tools, which are kind of the things your mother told you not to do, but I'm going to tell you actually can help you in leadership. And then the third bucket are the change leadership or systems change tools. Yeah, and I'll just mention them. I mean, those three that are counterintuitive, the, the modulate confidence strike your own damn balance and build social capital, which are very, very important. But there's two in that third, you know, section of systemic tools that I specifically want to ask you to give us a little more detail about. One that I absolutely love, which is be unreasonable. Tell us why. Why am I not surprised that you like that one, Anne? Because you couldn't have done any of the first that you have done in your life if you hadn't yeah. been unreasonable and really decided yeah. you can make change. So I, the, the quote that I use at the beginning of that chapter is from uh, George Bernard Shaw, who said, the reasonable man adopts to the world. The unreasonable man expects the world to adapt to him. Therefore, all change is because of the unreasonable man. So I think we have to like assume that were he living today, he would include women in that. And in any way, at any rate, we can we can take that principle and, and we can use it. Because if you always only do things that seem reasonable, you would never, there would never be any any new creativity. I, I you know, like the iPhone, for example, everybody thought Steve Jobs was crazy. They thought nobody totally used an iPhone. <laughs> Well, guess what? Uh, you, you, if you, if you are entirely reasonable, you wouldn't invent something new. If at the beginning of the pandemic we were reasonable, perhaps 
we wouldn't have had several pharmaceutical companies that just took the bull by the horns and said, yes, we are going to create vaccines and we're going to do it fast and we're going to make it safe and we're going to get the best of this pandemic. I mean, think about that. Think about, think about that. And think about, think about the woman um, who had been researching MNRA for 30 years and nobody thought it could be useful. And she was absolutely certain that it would crack the code. And if she hadn't done that, if she hadn't been unreasonable about that, we wouldn't have these vaccines. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very, very powerful story too. Unpack implicit bias. That at this moment of you know uproar and social change and whew, tension in our country right now, Talk, talk about that one. How are we going to ever really make progress on this? The, the implicit bias is certainly there. It's not like it's, uh, it's not fun sometimes. But you, in one sense, we all have biases because this is how human beings are able to organize our minds and thoughts. We have to, we have to be able to categorize things in order to be able to make sense of our universe. So implicit bias is not necessarily something that is evil doing by people. It is more of a normal human way of processing information. And once we, once we can defang it like that, it's very helpful because then we know we can overcome it. The irony, the beautiful irony, or maybe the paradox, I'm not sure which is the correct word, it, of, of implicit bias right now is that it has actually socialized women to have exactly the characteristics that are now what the world is looking for. The characteristics that are why companies with more women in their upper leadership are more profitable. The characteristics that enabled the countries led by women to do a much better job dealing with COVID. The characteristics that the World Bank has found result in countries with more women in their parliaments making better decisions and starting fewer wars. So these are things like, you know, we do listen more. We listen more. We don't jump off as quickly to take risks. Now, I think one of the things women learn to do more of is to take calculated risks and and intelligent risks. But honestly, if you compare male and female behavior around decision-making, you know, the women will take a little more time. They'll use more words in, you know, in, in deciding and talking about an issue or a problem. And that using more words is something that women have traditionally been judged harshly about because, you know, people would say, well, it makes you seem less powerful. Well, as it turns out, using more words is very helpful because it, it enables you to analyze a problem or an issue and come up with a better solution. The level of empathy that, uh, say, a Jacinda Ardern exhibited in New Zealand that made her now iconic in the world in how she handled the pandemic, a little more empathy can really help a company or an organization or a family or, or, or a community. Those are things that have been hardwired, not hardwired, I would say socialized into women Socialized into that women. we used yeah. to be judged negatively about and still right. are sometimes. 
But I say we put on our capes now. These are our superpowers. I love it. I love it. You've written five books now. This is your fifth. And and your own leadership journey is fascinating. And I want to just uh, ask you, as you look back at yourself and you talk about being a, a very, very young mother, small Texas town, I believe you had three young children. What do you see about yourself in terms of that leadership journey that has brought you to this point that um, you think is really important that you want to share? Well, I, I think I was, first of all, very fortunate to have a father who always told me I could do anything I wanted to do. And even though I heard very different things from the culture and the women I saw in my life did not live that way. By the time I was in my mid twenties, I could hear him. I, you know, I, I was able to, I was able to, to actually listen to that message better. And I, and I, I think I inherited his sense of optimism, which is also very helpful. But, but it, be, to be more specific, I became involved in the civil rights movement of the 60s when my children were small. I had started to college when my youngest was four months old. And because I couldn't finish my degree in Odessa, Texas, where I was, there wasn't a senior level. And I, I wasn't going to go leave town to go leave my children to go finish my degree, I got involved in a lot of community service work. And uh, I learned from the civil rights movement that people working together, even if they have very little formal power, can change anything. And that was a huge lesson for me. I mean, that is a lesson that continues to inform me today. And when people say, oh, well, we can't, we won't, we don't, we don't have enough, we can't do, I'm like, yeah, actually you can Actually, you can. If you get together with like-minded people, there is really nothing that you cannot accomplish. And, uh, and, and that, that, that has guided me quite, quite seriously. And, and to some extent, probably the fact that I didn't go to an Ivy League business school has also turned out to be its own kind of blessing. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Not that I wouldn't love to have that Harvard degree, but there, there was a kind of blessing in having to learn on the job. And it's by learning on the job that I, that I created these kinds of leadership tools that I believe can be especially helpful to, to women. And actually, they're also helpful to men. I, when I teach this as an academic course, I always have like 25% men because it's listed with the business school as well as women and gender wow. studies. And I find that, you know, the men, the, leadership is leadership. So the men get as yeah. much out of it as the women once they get the chip off their shoulder that it's about women and, uh, and go, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, this applies to me and my family. This may, you know, applies to my, my, my girlfriend, my mother, my wife, whatever. Yes. Right. So, so I, I, I really think that, 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 that journey of having to learn it all on the job. My first CEO job, I will tell you, Anne, I broke out in hives every day for the first month because I knew <laughs> I was so unqualified. I had no idea. I had never run anything. I had, I mean, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I really, I, I was- That old fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> I was just, uh, yeah. yeah. So I was really a basket case for a while, but- Pretty soon, I learned that if you apply yourself, you can learn almost anything. And it's really the, I think it's the characteristics that you bring to it that make more of a difference than the formal training that you've had. And again, I don't, I don't disvalue, devalue formal training at all. 
But I do think that when you enter a job with a fresh mind, you are forced to learn all kinds of new things and to do it in a way that your your mind is open. And again, it kind of comes back to our initial question of why is disruption the opportunity? Well, it's a similar kind of thing. If you don't know, you got to figure things out pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, another value of yours that has always been such a magnet to my respect for you and and interest friendship with you is that your commitment to sisterhood that it it, it's a powerful belief and you've lived it i always say every woman for herself is a losing strategy but i have to ask you because you're a new yorker now i know you you're part-time you're arizonan you're an arizonian as well but you're a new yorker and this whole katie couric book (laughs) <laughs> that uh, has gotten a ton of she's on a major you know PR blitz right now so she's been everywhere in terms of media coverage but a lot of pushback and a lot of shock about her acknowledging without much regret about what uh, a mean girl queen bee she has been in terms of really the very opposite of sisterhood of seeing other women as a threat and that's completely opposite to your message what do you think that's all about, Gloria? Well, first, first of all, and I think it's about selling books because when you are writing a book, you're, I'm going to tell you, your editors and publishers always want you to to divulge something that juicy. will, create, yeah, something Not juicy that will stuff. create a lot of, yeah. So, I mean, if she didn't have many affairs to, to, I mean, I don't know what she what she talked about because I haven't read the book, but I I I will say that I, I really think that that's probably part of it, but I. I feel sorry for her. I, as I thought about it, I, as I thought about it, I really feel sorry for her because what she missed, if in fact that is true, is she missed having the support that you get when you realize there's no finite pie and that that if we are all in it together and we help each other, we all benefit. We all We all are better. But apparently there were calculated times when she did you know, deliberately maybe climb on top of somebody else in order to get where she wanted to go. And here's the big lesson in that for women to me. And it is, you know, when I ask that question, the power to what, one of the things that is on my mind is what difference would it make if women simply achieved parity in power and pay and position, and we didn't bring with it the values and the skills and the tools that we have as women to make the world a better, kinder place. I would say, so what? So who cares if we have parity, if we don't make some change along the way? I would feel sorry for any woman who didn't understand the power of the sisterhood. They're missing a lot. So are we going to make your 2025 parity deadline? It's getting mighty close, Gloria. It's getting close, and I am absolutely cognizant that the pundits all say the pandemic has set us back by 10 years or more, and we've already talked about how I think we can move further faster because of the disruption, so I, I think that the wind is wind is at our backs in that regard, and I realize it, will be a, it was a big, bold, a big, bold stake in the ground when we first set it, and it's an even bigger, bolder stake in the ground now. Here's the thing. If you don't put a stake in the ground, and measure to something, you will get nowhere. 
So the worst case scenario is we'll move closer than we would have if we hadn't aimed for full gender parity. But I think this is a moment when we can move faster and farther than we might have ever imagined for many reasons, not only the fact that the workplace has to change, that's, that is definitely going to be, in the next two years, I predict that that is going to be a major advantage for women, that it will enable us to move faster, but also because there's a generation of men raised by women like us now, yep. and they want to be part of their children's lives. They are much more attuned to having more egalitarian marriages. And when you can start with parity in the home, you're more likely to have parity in the workplace and other places. Well, you know, that reminds me of somebody who who famously said democracy begins in the home. And that is another of my uh, all time favorite glorias. And you introduced me to her. <laughs> the one and only Gloria Steinem, who, how is she doing? She's just doing great. As far as I can see, she's, she goes, you know, she's busy all the time. She's still traveling the world. She's still, you know, she still shows up at, I noticed she's going to be at the Betty Christmas concert, holiday concert again this year. She always gives her very amusing predictions about what's going to happen in the next year. And I'm really sorry I'm not going to be in New York for that because it's one of my favorite favorite events of the year. So fortunately, she's doing well. And let us, let us uh, intention that uh, her health continues to be good and her energy continues to be amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. So the same with your your energy, which is amazing, and your very important work. Where can people, how can they get in touch with you if they would like to? Obviously, your book is out now. I know it's on Amazon. You could buy it anywhere. How can they get in touch with you? I'm at Gloria Felt on all social media, and it's F-E-L-D-T. You just have to remember that. And my personal website is GloriaFelt.com. There's a lot of information about the book there, including you can download a free workbook that goes with the book. If you go to GloriaFelt.com and go to the to the intentioning page, you can download that workbook and it will make the, the book even more valuable to you. And Take the Lead's website is TakeTheLeadWomen.com, where you can find out about all of our training, coaching role model programs. And in either place, you can find out how to bring me to speak to your group. And I'd love to do that. So I, I can, you know, we're, we're, I'm very accessible and love to hear from people. And I really am on social media way too much. So talk to me there, folks, <laughs> at Gloria Felt. <laughs> well, thank you, Gloria Felt, for your really decades of advocacy and inspiration, really, on behalf of uh, women and equity for all. I wish you great success with your newest book, Intentioning Sex, Power, Pandemics, and How Women Will Take the Lead for Everyone's Good. Thanks so much for being with me. Thank you, Anne. Let's, Let's all, all go power up. up. Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. We hope you'll keep listening and share us with your network. We have over 100 episodes now for you to choose from. And remember, when one woman rises, we all rise. Make sure you reach back 
and lift others as you climb. I'm Ann Doyle.